Tonight's reading is from Mark 8, 1 through 9, where Jesus feeds the 4,000. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me and now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. This is the word of the Lord. I normally wouldn't give background to the text, um, partly because sometimes there's a theme going on, like you're preaching on Matthew next week, right? Been doing through Matthew. You've been here with us for very long. Um, but I'm going to give a little background text before I actually introduce the sermon. Um, I didn't want to preach from this text. <laughs> That's kind of why I'm getting the background. Um, I had a couple other things I want to talk about. Some, some uh, conversations we had had in our small group that meets at our house on Wednesday nights. Uh, those conversations continuing with individual people, guys I work with, things like that. And you, you kind of go like, oh, man, next time I preach, that's what I preach about, you know. And so, it's, well, then things change. Um, I got intrigued by this uh, a verse, or not really a verse necessarily, uh, kind of a verse in this passage. When, if, if you look through the passage, you don't see the people saying anything, right? And so I was kind of intrigued in the fact that it's, it's interesting that in the other feeding, uh, the big 5,000 feeding, right? It's got more people to it. There is a, uh, uh, there's reasons why the feeding occurs. Here, there's not really a reason why it occurs. So it was raising questions in my head. So I kind of had that running through my head. I like, I like that passage. I didn't want to preach about it, though, right? Well, then two weeks ago, um, Suzanne Hassel does the offering sometimes. She talks about the spiritual direction things. And I'm actually sitting in the back here, and I've got... Matthew 8 open. I'm kind of looking through it. And I hear her start quoting the very verses I'm reading. I'm like, okay, I understand that. So it came a little more on the radar. So then I started having conversations with people. Guys at work and just Jill and I were having conversations at home. And just paying a little more attention to things like food and eating and hunger, that type of thing. And it's coming up a little more. So even though I still don't want to preach about it, it's kind of still there, right? So then John Wood preaches last week, right? And he's out of Romans 8 talking about groanings and that kind of stuff. Which... <laughs> John Wood, he's about as far on the other spectrum of preaching as, as you're going to get tonight. I just got to let you know, all right? He has forgotten way more about preaching than I ever hoped to learn. Thank you so much or whoever scheduled for me to follow John Wood. Appreciate that. I mean, normally I just had to follow Doug, you know? <laughs> you came back a night too early. Um, and I know how you take things. So having said that, I wouldn't trade you for John Wood. No matter what. And I'm... Yes. I've had a lot of good ministers in my life. But at this point in my life, I want you. I shouldn't have said that. 
Okay. <clears throat> Moving on. All right, man, we're not going to get through this. Okay. So John quotes out of Mark 8. I don't know if you heard it near the end. He's talking about the blind guy getting healed. I'm going, what the heck? So I go up to him afterwards. I said, dude, you don't know me. I'm just a schmuck who's going to preach next week. I said, why did you mention Mark 8? He's what I thought about earlier in the day. I said, it didn't have anything to do with Romans. You know, but it just came out like, okay. I guess so all week it's been, this is what we're preaching on. Right, this is the text we're going to be at. So it's just been day after day just having conversations, thinking about what I'm eating and that type of stuff because there's this, this, obviously the theme of food is running in there because Jesus creates this wonderful meal. Uh, so what I want to say to get started before we talk about Big Ed's Pizza, um, everything we're doing tonight right, is right here. If, don't, don't think about this as a sermon. I mean, I ain't got that much of a sermon in me. It, think of it as a just the... Setting us up to go to the table. <laughs> Setting us up to share a meal that Jesus wants us to share. Okay? I grew up in Kingston, Tennessee. It's about 35 miles west of here. <clears throat> Small rural town, 60s and 70s. You were lucky to get pizza maybe frozen out of the, you know, white stores that was downtown. I don't even know what white stores are anymore. If you grew up in Tennessee, you know white stores. But uh, I, think they, I think it's Food City now. Whatever. Um, we finally got a pizza place, and it was okay. Mom is a little German lady. But the big deal was, if you could go to Oak Ridge, to Big Ed's Pizza, show me the hands. You're, I'm getting some head now. Who's Big Ed's, right? Now, trust me when I tell you, and I don't, has anybody been like in the past couple of months? You have? Okay. If it's changed a lot, let me know. But you don't go to Big Ed's for anything except the pizza. When you, when you... <laughs> I don't know how it is now, although the last time it looked exactly what it did when I was a kid, but it was a, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a big deal because you go in and the decor is not something that would be inviting to you or the amount of dust that's on it or the dates that are on it. There's dates in places at Big Ed's the only people like Lawrence Tolick would know the date of, right? <laughs> and it hadn't changed. It's an adventure and a challenge to find the bathroom and make it back alive because it's in the back and it's down and it's crazy. The napkins are the kind that you can see through, plastic utensils. Coca-Cola gives them their cups because, and, and little bitty plates like this. The pizza slices it, but the plates are like this big. That's all it is, man. But it was really cool because as a kid, you get to go up there, and it's, they've got glass there, and you can watch them make the pizza. Well, that was slick, right? Well, man, 30, 40 years later, whatever, it, has it changed? Is that the way it is now? Pretty much the way it is now, right? You just go for the pizza, greasy, slurpy stuff, man, with cheese all over. And it's great, but it's just about... The pizza, it's all about the food that you're going there, not how it's served and what it, none of that other stuff. It's just about the pizza, but it's Big Ed's pizza, right? It's amazing how much scripture talks about food and hunger, how much uh, the theme of, of eating comes into play, man, from beginning to end. I mean, think about it in the Garden of Eden. What did Eve do? What'd she do? She ate an apple, right? Um, you get into the wilderness wanderings out of Exodus. God's providing what? Every day. Manna. Some people read their Bible in here. That's good. Um, and then you start working through it. And, and by the time you get to Jesus, he's, he's teaching about fastings. He's getting tempted with food before in, in the desert. He's got uh, miracles. Obviously, we're talking about one tonight. Continuing that he, he says things like, I am the bread of life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Some beautiful scripture comes of that. And so if we run it down to the very end, you get into Revelation uh, the restored kingdom. There's this beautiful picture of a wedding feast and we share at the Lord's table. It's wonderful stuff. So it's this theme that just is continuous throughout the Bible. So what I want us to think about a little bit and keep in mind as we work our way through this text is the fact that maybe eating is just not something 
that as physical beings we have to do to stay alive. That maybe it's something that is much more essential from the spiritual aspect of who we are. We're created to be spiritual beings. There's a spiritual side, a holistic spiritual thing of our being created in God's image, having a need for food every day, that food being sustained. And so when you hear something like, give us this day our daily bread, uh, things come to mind that are more than just a, I got to eat right now. I'm hungry, right? Um, Jesus being Jewish, a lot of the uh, scripture coming from a Jewish tradition, um, it's, it's, it's good sometimes to look at what, the Jewish writers, the Jewish theologians, the Jewish rabbis would have to say about a lot of subjects that are found in Scripture. Here's just a couple concerning the idea of food and eating and hunger. From one Jewish writer, the impulse that we have to nourish ourselves through food is a good one, reflecting God's desire that we feel cherished. Thus we see that food equals love, not because we're sick, but because it reflects a measure of truth. There's an emotional quality to eating. Food gives pleasure. By the same token, hunger is also a gift from God. For it promotes self-preservation and impels us to action from a Jewish rabbi a couple hundred years ago, actually. A healthy spiritual approach to food is rooted in three areas of traditional teachings. Blessings, dietary laws, and food as celebration and pleasure. Taken together, they make the everyday act of eating an essential part of a spiritual path. So as we move through this story, I want us to keep in mind that what Jesus is going to do for the people and what we're going to look at and kind of break down for just a few minutes has as much to do with our connectedness to God in the spiritual sense as much as it does in a physical sense. We're created to be spiritual beings. We are both flesh and spirit. And sometimes, in some ways, in ways that we really don't even understand, although there's some, some people trying, and some of you guys, by the way, some of y'all are much, much more in tune with this. You're sitting out there going, yeah, man, I'm with you. I get this stuff. In fact, have you read this book or read this website or do you know this? I don't. Right? I, I, it's not very well versed in a lot of this stuff, but a lot of you are. Have those conversations with people. Because things like hunger, man, that's a church thing. Right? Things like what it is to, to eat holistically where there's whole foods and, and healthy foods and all that stuff. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of ways we could go with that. Man, that stuff that, that the, the, that's about restoring the kingdom. And if you've got that passion and you know that stuff, share that. Teach us. There's, you know, some of you are making the gardens and doing the thing. I mean, it, it, there's a... There's an aliveness to that right now. It doesn't take much of a search um, to find that kind of stuff. T- type in something like theology of bread or the, or the connectedness of spirituality and food, and it's just, manual. it explodes. Stuff all over the place, teaching all over the place, and it's good stuff. So here's my question when I look at this passage. Why did Jesus feed the people? <laughs> Why did he do it? I mean, I look at some of the other things that, that he did, some of the other miracles that are just like kind of blow you away fantastic. Like, how in the world? Many people are just hungry, right? Why did Jesus feed the people? Um, in, pick, pick any place in Scripture where it talks about Him having compassion and look at the miracles that follow. And it's like healing people that can't see and bringing people back to life and healing leprosy. You know, it's stuff like, wow, that's real healing. Here there's a miracle where it just seems like he's just feeding people. <laughs> Why is he doing that? I mean, if he could do all those kind of miracles, I would think, seems to me, that he goes, I don't want y'all to be hungry anymore. Not hungry. I mean, right? If he can do all those other miracles, why couldn't he just take the hunger away, right? 
think it's real simple. It's a theological thing, okay? Simply said, deep stuff. I know you like deep stuff, right? In fact, Nate's up here on the front row, man. I'm, I'm looking for deep stuff tonight, right? Here it is. He just wanted to eat. I know, isn't it? He just wanted to share a meal with his people. Jesus just wanted to eat and share a meal with his people before he sent them out. Wow. That's human, man. I can get into that. I understand a guy that loves me so much that provides this table that's just like, before you go out and do your thing, let's eat together. Three days. You're hungry. Let's eat together. There isn't any. And you're not hungry anymore. Let's hang out. Have a long meal. Talk about some of this stuff. Let me hear your story. Good stuff. I think he just wanted them deep. Simple as that. Now, this story is... Uh, here you go, Savage. You ready? This story is sandwiched. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> wow, that one died quick. Between, between five or six other stories and two healings that start in Mark 1 and continue just past this down to the end of Mark 8... Acts of verse about 26. Now, instead of going back and read through some of that stuff, and, and not to get away from this text, but it, it's a, it would be, it'd behoove us to, um, to look at what else um, is going on around this miracle of the feeding, okay? Mark 7, verses 1 through 13, uh, condense it for you. It's not about how we eat. Pharisees are getting all crazy. Your disciples aren't washing their hands, all right? Verses 14 through 23, it's not about what we eat. Um, Jesus talks about the fact that y'all are concerned about what you can eat and what you can't eat. If food goes in, it comes out the body, it's gone. It just passes through. It's what comes out of you that causes things that pollute you and defile you. And he gives this whole big list of stuff that's pretty nasty looking. Got to do with the food you eat. Verses 24 through 30, it's not about when we eat. He has this interesting conversation with a Greek lady who needs her daughter healed. And Jesus is like, ah, basically, I've got to heal the Jews first, then we'll get to you. And she has an answer that blows him away. And he says, no, we're healing her right now. She goes home, daughter's healed. It's not about when we eat. Verse 31 through 37, he heals the deaf man. Guy's got ears, got to be able to hear. He also had some kind of uh, trouble with his speech, so Jesus healed that too. There's a reason why that little miracle's there in the midst of all this food stuff. Then after the feeding of the 4,000, on further down in Mark 8, verses 11 through 21, it's not about how much we eat, and we really need to remember that we've eaten. The disciples blow me away in this, in this feeding. I get the one of the 5,000 where we're going to get all the food. I don't get how you live through the feeding of the 5,000, come within maybe six months to a year at most, and you're another big group of people. Jesus is there. They're hungry, and he's like, let's feed them. And somebody doesn't remember, right? What's the Aramaic for deja vu? Because I've seen this before, right? I mean, like maybe somebody, one of the, like Bartholomew or somebody goes, we've been here before. We've seen this, right? You know, but they don't. And so they're in the boat. They've got one loaf of bread. Well, how are we all going to eat? Jesus is like, you've got to be kidding me, right? It's not about how much you eat. He says, remember when I did this. Remember when I did that. And then he closes it out, Mark 8, with healing a blind man. He's got eyes and he's be able to see. And it's interesting why those two particular miracles show up because when he's kind of getting on to his disciples in the boat, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. So you see this kind of this whole sandwich thing that occurs. We're just going to look at this section specifically where he feeds, feeds 4,000. All right. You got three people, three persons in the story, right? Let's start with Jesus. Because every good meal has got to have a cook or a baker, right? So I guess if you were trying to play it out, Jesus is kind of like the cook in this deal. Um, 
It's interesting to talk to good cooks. Because you think you know the language about food and cooking until you talk to a, a cook. And then they start throwing words out and you're going, man, that's a food? How do you do that stuff? And it, it was even cool, like Bobby, who's not here tonight, whatever. I'll get on to him tomorrow about that, by the way. He's not in church. Um, Bobby talking about, man, McLean's not here either. What the heck? About, man, you have to... Yeah. They're probably home cooking something. Bobby talking about Matt McLean being in his kitchen and said, Matt just has this craft for, and I had no idea, you know, that he was a cook, for putting tastes together that you wouldn't think would go together. He can pull spices and he can do things with it that's really, really cool. And Bobby's just kind of in awe of what he can do, right? Maybe that's more than just a, a desire to, to make food, right? Maybe there's something to it that's a little deeper than that. Um, talk to David Geick about making bread. I saw him last night at uh, a at little thing, celebration, whatever, big thing, actually, for, for Steve Loy. Uh, a lot of good food and drinks and stuff over there. And I was asking David about his bread. He's, he's got it down to a fine art to the point now. He's been out in his backyard collecting acorns. He knows how to, to dry them out and soak them just right. And he's using those to even flavor and, set and do things in his bread. I'm going, man, you are. Talk to a winemaker that knows about wine. And they'll taste wine and they'll go, Oh, yeah, it was that year. There wasn't much rain on the mountains, you know, and then they'll smell it. it talk to Bruce knows some of this stuff, right? He can, he can tell you how much wine you've drinking. I don't even go down that road, but, but he knows, right? He's experienced about this stuff because they know that's more than just a, a passing fancy about something that we eat and drink. There's more to it than that. Providing food for people is something that uh, came naturally to Jesus. Right? The same guy that said when he's tempted... Uh, by Satan says, uh, uh, man shall not live by bread alone. Every, every uh, word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he quotes in Deuteronomy. And if you go back and look at Deuteronomy, it's this great passage where Moses is laying it down to the people going, I'm speaking for God, uh, saying, I, I gave you the manna in the wilderness. Follow my statutes and my commandments and, and to be obedient to me and know that not only I provide for you, I took care of your needs. Jesus comes by it naturally to provide food for people. Um, there's a lot of you. That have been Jesus. Talk to uh, Drew's not here. Man, alive! Everybody's gone tonight. What the heck? Listen to Drew Petty come and, and he's, he does this when he comes and talks about stewardship at pilgrimage. Listen to Drew talk about when they're having a baby and his sister's over visiting, and uh, a lady shows up with a bowl of pimento cheese that looked and sounded a lot like polytolic, but it was Jesus, right, knocking at the door, going here. Drew didn't call and say, "Hey," and and the impact that made on Drew's sister, right. So it looked and sounded like Polly, but man, it was Jesus. On Thursday nights downtown, a dude named Johnny Heath. Some of y'all like y'all know him, some of y'all way better than I do. Johnny still takes meals down. And even though there's been some rocky roads about how the food comes and that type of stuff, he's still doing it. Right? When Johnny rolls in, sometimes he used to look like Jesus with the hair and stuff, I guess, but but he he is he's the face of Jesus to the people that he serves. And on Tuesday nights when Callie Broom has got meals together and she takes it to the ladies that she knows that she ministers to on Tuesday nights, Callie Broom looks like Jesus sharing the meal. Anything that we do where we see that need and there's compassion, then we can become the face of Jesus by something as simple as sharing meal, taking food. So when you see those things like takethemameal.com, you know, that gets floated around every time somebody's been in the hospital or had a baby, man, jump all over that stuff. You had a chance to be Jesus, <laughs> you know? And I read a cool story this week. Um, there's some money that was, uh, uh, came through what would be the same program that provides free and reduced lunches at schools uh, to take care of kids in the summer. And there's a dude that drives a bus called the Bread Bus 
up in the mountains outside of Greenville. 66-mile round trip every day. He goes to these trailer parks, and he and a, a young lady that's 22 and doesn't get paid, and they take meals every day to kids, and they have to eat on the bus. And it's a pretty cool story. It was actually in the Washington Post. If you get a chance to look it up, it, man, it was heart-wrenching in some ways, too. But it, it's just, it was just a cool story because you're, you're reading that story and you understood because they had actually interviewed some of the kids and some of the adults and stuff that when they saw that bus coming, they knew who was in that bus, right? Man, it was Jesus. And he was bringing them something they needed to survive, right? And it was much more than just about, you know, what you're putting in my stomach. It's about what you're doing for me from the spiritual sense. We talk about things like um, comfort food and all that kind of stuff. It, it's not the food, right? It's what has come up in us. Because at some point in our lives, there's been people that have served that, prepared that for us in such a way that it creates and stirs in us feelings that touch us in a deeply spiritual level, not just a hunger level. Right? Who's the other people here? Well, it's the disciples. You've got to have hosts and waiters. Right? Some of y'all are very, very, very hospitable. Right? Some of you, um, you, you love to have people come over to your house, and man, you just, you just blow it out. You, know, you love it. Um, I've had some customers like that, actually. <laughs> I had a lady that all we had done was work on her house for years and got to know her. And I, I this is how good I got to know her. She had a really, really nice house down on the river. And uh, we needed to do something really special. And I went and I said, hey, would you host a meal for us? Man, she jumped onto that thing and she decorated and bought stuff. And she just wanted to be able to do it. She knew what it was to host and bring. I mean, we took people down to cook the food. She just loved it. Her name was Norma. And Norma understood you know, what it was to, to be a host. Um, she knew what it was to, to serve people that way. She was gifted that way um, for years, like seven years. Um, I made a weekly trip to uh, International House of Pancakes. They don't call it that anymore. We call it IHOP. It's down on uh, Level Road. Um, I doubt it's going to make it. They just don't get much traffic down there anymore enough to, to provide it. Everybody's going to Turkey Creek, so they passed the IHOP. I started going with some guys and uh, got to know... Um, the waitress named Olga. Olga's, uh, she's actually kind of well-known. You can go in July and she's singing Christmas songs, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, Jill and I, and when we go out and eat, we, we, we'll talk to the waiters and waitresses and stuff. We, we like to get their name. We like to hear stories, find out what they're going on, especially if they're younger and in college or something and, and see what else is going on. Olga and I got to be pretty good friends. Fast forward a couple of years down the road. Man, I ruled IHOP. <laughs> I'm not quite frank. I could walk into IHOP, choose where I wanted to sit, and uh, J.J. would bring me the paper. Olga would come over. Didn't bring me the menu because I could just order anything I wanted. Right? And she'd go back and tell the dude every three or four different cookies. They would just make it. Raheem, the manager, would come out and sit down with him and bring his stuff. And I would, for about two hours, man, I'd have church. Right? And for seven years, every week, it was Thursday, sometimes Friday, but either one of those two days, dealt with Olga when her mom died. You know, And when the dog died, which is actually even more uh, tragic for her because she's single and, and lives alone. Um, dealing with Raheem and the things going down with the store. And then if something was broke, I was always going back going, yeah, this is what you're on. you got to try to fix this. And, just, and getting to know the other ladies uh, that were in there because it was all um, waitresses. And then the one dude that, that, uh, that busted the tables, he, he was deaf. I don't think he knew sign language because the stuff he was throwing at me didn't, I don't know, it wasn't any sign language I'd ever seen. And I'd throw some back and he'd smile and we'd have a good time. He'd clean my table. And that's kind of how that went. And it went for six, seven years. It, but it all came about from the fact that Olga knew how to serve people. She knew what it was, man, to make you feel like, I want you here. I want you as a customer. I want you to enjoy this meal. And about the third year in, you know, I realized, what am I coming here every day for? This food sucks, man. You know, because it's like, 
they only got so many things, and they start to all taste alike, you know. And so about once a year, usually around the holidays, um, you know, we try to do something for her, I mean, you know, and I'd, I'd make her cry about once a year because I'd go, you know, I'd get her to look at me, and I'd go, you know, I don't come here for the food, right? She'd start crying and she'd walk away. And I understood that kind of stuff, right? It, what was developed was the relationships that all came to the back that, that people understood what it was to serve people. Guys, if you are sitting in this room and you're in the food industry and you're a waiter or waitress, don't you dare let me hear you say, I'm just a waiter, I'm just a waitress. Man, you are at the front lines of what it is to know God and be available to serve people. It doesn't get any more... I'm doing something for the kingdom of God than that right there, right? And if you're not in the food industry and you go out to eat, <laughs> you better be taking care of your waiters and waitresses, right? Um, that, that means tipping because you can afford to go out and eat, you can afford to tip them. But talk to them. Get to know them. And some, how many of you have got waiters and waitresses that you have a relationship with you know? How many people am I preaching to the choir here for? A few of you? And I need to see some more hands next time. Man, get to know those people. Yeah, the disciples didn't have a lot going on, but it, they didn't argue when Jesus said, here. Take and go serve them. And they did, right? Last group of people. It's the guests or the customers. And we go, well, maybe that's more us. Well, maybe it is, okay? Maybe we tend to fill that role more often than we do the cooks or the bakers or the servers. I don't know. Um, here's what we do know about them. They sat down when they were asked. They ate what was given. And they ate until they were satisfied. Jesus wanted to share a meal with people that knew what it was to eat and be satisfied. And notice all that other stuff that's around this passage. Nobody's going, hey, can y'all make sure they wash their hands? You know, can y'all make sure that they don't eat too much because they're looking real healthy and these little guys over here, they need to share a little here. None of that stuff's going down. It just said they took and they ate and they were satisfied. I heard a guy about 10 years ago say something that that just made a light bulb come on for me. You know, because I kind of grew up in that world of Here's a list of things we need to try to check off and do. And if you do these right, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay dividends. And this is how the church and the kingdom will get built and all that kind of stuff. And there was just always this place of, man, that just don't play out for everybody. I don't understand that sometimes. I remember this one guy, I don't, even, I don't remember who it was and what he was teaching. I just remember exactly what he said. He said, one of the most spiritual things you can do is just to have long meals and talk with people. Well, we can do that. Right? I mean, man, this is Knoxville after all. Good grief, every, every week inside Knoxville, guy talks about another restaurant opening. We have restaurants everywhere, right? grocery stores all over the place. We can do this. Um, the halls, uh, Spencer and Emily Hall host a meal. Is it Tuesday night, Stephen? Tuesday night? At their house. And I, I was talking to Stephen about it. He said, man, I would just pray and eat. You know, we're not trying to save the world. We're trying to pray and eat. We build community, get, to, get into each other's lives. We do it around food. Um, Fristos, still doing a potluck? There you go. Uh, they, they, they don't do game night, right? You like it? It's good? You going tonight? There you go. That's some minutes about the food. They're eating when they get together. They can play games. They can be doing volleyball tournaments, but they're eating. Potluck. Bring what you have. Share what's been brought. Share together, right? Um, our small group uh, that meets at our house on Wednesday nights, we're about to try something a little different than we have. We, uh, we read this little blog, and there was this little picture about this lady talking about her group. And uh, this picture showed them all around the dinner table. And she said, instead of moving from the table to the living room to start group, said, we just, we're at the table the whole time now. We just kind of, we've abandoned the living room for the table. 
Because as people are eating and napkins are flying and dishes are clanging and, you know, and all that stuff's going down, it's happening at meals. She said something just breaks down and that's where the good stuff gets talked about and where the good stuff comes out. So we decided to stay there. So we're going to do that. We're trying to figure out how we're going to rearrange our house a little bit. We're just going to, put, we're going to stay on the family meal table the whole night, you know, which can get crazy sometimes depending on how many people you got. I'm thinking the messier the better. Can you imagine 4,000 people sitting, and that was just men, apparently, and 12 people trying to, trying to feed all them, right? And one guy being in charge and how that went. Yeah, I'm sure it's messy, right? We're going to try that anyway. Um, the, uh, the main thing, I guess, or the, 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 as, as the people, what we need to recognize or learn, um, it would be this, is that our need to recognize our hunger Eat what's given to us. Share a common meal that Jesus provides. Because if there's one thing that the people do in not saying anything, is simply what I think was at the baseline, was just the, the whole reason why Jesus even provided the food. He just wanted to share a meal. The people got that. <laughs> All right? Oh, well, let's go home, man. I don't, you know, we're a little hungry. And so, hey, no, he's talking about food here. Hang on, let's stay. Dude, meal time. Right? We don't know what they did for three days. Scripture doesn't give us any indication. We can infer and we can say, well, he healed people before when there was big groups. Maybe he healed them. Maybe he taught them a bunch. Chances are they were so spiritually filled up, they were about ready to explode, right? And he's looking at it, this stuff going, man, they, what does it mean to remain with him for three days? There might be a pretty strong thing going on there that they remained, you know, and he taught them and he stayed with them. And now it's just like, we're going to eat together. We're going to end this little deal with a, with a good meal. Right? Jesus wants to share a meal with his people. We're his people. So what does our meal look like? There's a guy named Peter Boland. He's a professor of philosophy and humanities in California. He says it this way. I really like this. I have no idea if he's a believer, um, but there's some truth in, in what he says right here. Oftentimes something is sacred because it's derived from something sacrificed. All food is sacrificed because all food is gained by death. When we eat, we kill. This is a truth not to be shunned, shamed, or avoided. Indeed, it must be sanctified and embraced. Wherever you are on the vegan to omnivore spectrum, our lives rely on the continual ritual sacrifice of these life forms. To eat unconsciously with no awareness of this sacred dynamic is to be out of step with the essential core of life itself. All life turns on this law, the law of sacrifice. It's a common meal. Some of you have heard it called. It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion. Uh, at All Souls, we typically refer to it as the Eucharist. It's a meal that Jesus has laid the table for us to share at. On our website, we're going to pretty much end with this because it says it really, really good. I don't even know who wrote uh, the, the part about the Eucharist on the website, but uh, it might be worth your time to... Till I never go on our website, come to church here. You know, it's like, why get on the website? And Jill said, this is pretty good. You ought to look at this. So th- this, is, this is what the All Souls website says about the Eucharist. Okay? The Eucharist table is God's table, around which our church family gathers every Sunday night. Every piece of our worship life culminates in the Eucharist. At the table, all of our worship finds its meaning and fullest expression. The table we approach for the Eucharist or Lord's Supper or communion is similar to our dinner table at home. I love that line. 
It is around the table that we receive the food and drink we need for our nourishment. It is there where we connect with friends and family. The Eucharist is the meal to which all other meals aspire because this is where God promises to meet us. We gather at the table with God at Eucharist and we gather with the members of our church family. We don't go as isolated and autonomous people. Instead, we go to the table together. As a people, we're united in our common need for Jesus. We may have disagreements and differing opinions, but at the Eucharist, we have our only hope for forgiveness and repaired relationships because we are all united in our love for the one who gives himself in the bread and in the wine. I know it sounds very simple, but when we meet every Sunday night, we're really just coming together to share a meal. Let's pray.